she tells him to check his Snapchat, and at the same time, I get a Snapchat from her too, and it is her in the, a bathroom stall. They keep talking, trying to figure out when they can meet up. I should have mentioned that you shouldn't listen to this unless you're like over the age of 18. Yeah, well, thank, thanks, Alex. It's, we'll, a, it's we'll, a little late for that. We'll put a, a little we'll, late con- we'll, for the we'll, content we'll warning. We'll put a content warning in the beginning. <laughs> at the magic after you of go editing. into the, the super explicit details, good job. You saved them. I, you saved them. Oh, my them. God. I didn't, I forgot how like intense this got. NSFW warning from here on in. Let's no, keep, keep going. From the beginning. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sorry about that. So, real quick. Boom. Ah. All right, we did your jump scare. Are you happy? <laughs> Genuinely, kind of, yeah. Okay. Kind of, yeah. I, I had that, it. that fake little, ah, that, that, that kind of gave me enough joy to go through the year. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay, good, because yeah. it's, it's our favorite time of year. Legitimately, yes. It is my favorite time of year. Yeah, it's the spooky times. It is the spook times. Um, <laughs> I, um... I'm excited, Mike. Are you? Yes. Mainly because, uh, again, it's Halloween. Welcome back, everyone. Happy Halloween, everybody. We spookified our little recording table. Kind of? I mean... There's pumpkins and lights and candles. We uh, we have four pumpkins and an incense thing. Yeah, it makes spooky smokes. Spooky spokes? Spooky smokes. Spooky smokes. Anyway, when we turn out the lights, it's going to be super spooky. Is this like... Citrus scented? What what kind of scent is this that's coming out here? It's... It's... it's three parts frankincense, uh-huh. one part orange, one part, I believe, tea. I, I was like a witch mixing them. You know what? You know what? That's, that's listen, I love uh, orange as much as the next guy, and orange is spooky. Orange is spooky I was hell. going for, like, out of the incense that I had, I was going for the most spooky concoction I could find. So just taking random shit. Not the random shit. like the throwing most, it in the... The s- most autumnal shit that I have. Autumnal. That's a fun word to say. It is. Can you spell it? A-U-T-U-M-N-A-L. Okay, that's good. I always forget the U after the A. <laughs> that, that was me testing you to make sure I was, the, to see if I was the dumbass or if that was a universal thing. Wow, Mike, like a very, a very rare occurrence. Yes, you are the dumbass. Yeah, I'm the dumbass I'm here. the yeah. smart boy. Yay. <laughs> Welcome to the Weekly Undertaking, everybody. I'm Mike. I'm Alex, and I still haven't done my little introduction. Oh, you haven't? Yeah, because I was getting into something and then you frightened me. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, so, uh, this, this week, as we do every year, we, uh, research, uh, spooky stories and, uh, scary tales to share with you all and make you all scared. Many, many spooks. Yes. And, uh, in my research this week, I found one that, uh, sadly, I don't think was scary enough or deep enough to do on, like, on the main, uh, main that, as podcast, the, as the main one, as yeah. the main story. Yeah. But I still wanted to tell you about it because it's, it's very funny. Oh, 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 it's a funny one. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the 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 man that goes by the name of TV Head? TV Head? No. Is it just a guy that puts on a TV as a mask? Yeah. So that's this, fucking stupid. Well, this is well. What he does is in the middle of the night he goes up to people's doorsteps and leaves just like old TVs on their on their stairs. Why? <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> This guy's fucking insane. In the beginning, uh, from what I did, researched on the story, it seems that he only did it once. And, like, all the TVs were just facing the people's doors, like, when they open it, like, in a creepy way. Yeah. And, like, everyone had one. But then, like, a year later in the town over, another person did it. 
and this person wore a TV on his head, and it seems like that person was doing it as like a copycat type thing. Yeah, I would kind of figure, yeah, that kind of sounds like it. There's a whole story about it, and I'll link it in the description, because it is very interesting watch. I mean, look, that's a hysterical prank if you're, like, pranking a friend, and you just want to put TVs on their lawn. That's fun. If you're doing it to random strangers, you need psychological <laughs> help. That's messed I, up. I would think that, like, the guy who did it originally was just like, I don't know, I have all these TVs, and I just don't want, I don't want to throw them out. <laughs> That's another question. How do you have so many old TVs that you can put four or five on every lawn in the neighborhood? It's just one per, one per, one per porch. Still, still, that's one TV per porch. That's a lot of TVs. It's pretty freaking cool. It is, it is kind of funny. But it yeah. is really, really funny. Um, For a second, I thought it was going in the direction of, like, Siren Head or something like that. <laughs> like, the, the new Slender Man. I don't know if you've seen this. No, what's that? Uh, it's just, it's just, like, a really tall guy that has like sirens for a head and when he comes towards you he plays a really creepy like almost a nuclear explosion warning sound oh i don't like oh wait i think i have seen it's that. just super freaking eerie and scary and yeah it just kind of goes off like the like the scariness of like warning sounds yeah exactly like, that. like when i get an amber alert at three in the morning and it wakes me up like i legit get freaked out you keep your phone on at night i turn my phone off explicitly because of the amber alerts it doesn't happen enough and that's where i set my alarm yeah. So I mean, there, there you go. That's I, fair. I need it. Yeah. For that reason. Yeah. Or I, I, what, do you, what do you think? I'm going to buy an alarm clock in 2020? I mean, you very well could and I could. should. Yeah. They're still very pre re relevant. I'm just lazy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, was there a second story to the TV head? Did he like, commit any crimes or was he just no, kind that, of No, that was dude? legit it. That's it? So Yeah, one yeah guy, that's not enough for, for a true crime I know. story. One guy did it. It's and barely then, a crime. And then a year, the next year... Um, someone else uh, attempted it. This was in 2019. And the potential charges, and this I thought was funny, were um, disposing of, of trash on people's properties. And the other one, which did not age well, was wearing a mask in public. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's a little messed up. Yeah, I mean, obviously the intent was different. That was a mask to hide your identity, not a mask to protect other people and yourself. I am shocked that it was ever a crime. I'm not going to lie to you. Those were the potential crimes. It was still up for debate whether or not it was a crime. Yeah, to because TVs it's, on people's porches. It's not. It, well, I would say like trespassing. You could make an argument. Yeah, for. that was that was the other one. Yeah, potential trespassing. Yeah, but I mean, anything other than that. Not really. But yeah, no, um, the copycat was caught on, like, people's ring cameras. Yeah, I was going to say, how was that not, he and was not caught earlier? It does look creepy without context. I'm sure it like, does. Like, just a guy with a TV head just placing a TV on your doorstep and then walking away. Yeah, it looks, yeah, I can imagine that being scary. It looks scary. Because it almost looks like, like he's giving your, you his children who's going to, like, you know, sprout arms and legs and into your house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just going to grow. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like the gremlins. You can't feed the TV after midnight. And for those who were wondering, um, some people did like take apart the TVs just to see, and they were regular TVs. Okay, so it wasn't like they put anything spooky. It inside. wasn't anything weird okay, or good. like dangerous. It was literally just old TVs. Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I can I can imagine it is. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not. That is. Yeah, it's not really scary. So. Um, TV head, if you're listening to this podcast, please come on the show. Yeah, please come um, on the show. We'll 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 distort your voice to protect your identity, and we'll give you a TV. No, uh, Alex is emphatically shaking his head. No, no. I only have that one. And it's not going to fit on his head. What do you mean? It's it's a huge ass TV. It's going to crush him. What? Do you, uh, okay, but 
he's got to be used to it. He's got to have strong neck muscles. Well, dude, like, that's a big-ass TV. Like, I have a really old, like, big CRT TV in the basement here. Well, that's what I was picturing when you were telling me that... Well, yeah, like, it's not that big. Oh. Know? It's, like, the size of, like, an old, like, computer monitor, that type of TV. Oh, I see. Okay. It's not, like, something that can, like, you wear on your head without killing yourself. Well, I don't think through... I didn't think through the logistics... Of wearing a TV for a face. Yeah, anyway, you should look it up if you're interested, because yeah. that's that's a fun little tale. It sure is. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. All right. So, uh, as Alex mentioned, this year, what we do uh, every year is we look up true tales to terrify us. Yes. For Halloween. And, uh... As Alex said, this is our favorite episode every year. <laughs> it's so fun. It really is. Honestly, I get why people just do true crime all the time. There is so much crime. I know. There is, is so much crime in the world. So much crime. It's so interesting to talk about. Um, I definitely couldn't do it because it, like, even this just researching this week made me so sad. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it does. It does kind of ruin it, your soul. It weighs on you. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's it, why. That's why last year I did a paranormal thing, which was still super scary. Oh, dude! Like, yeah, I fucking still have nightmares about Dear David. Yeah, it was fucking. It was fucked up, dude. Yeah, and that was after we agreed to do like true t- true crime. I think so. That was like mean of you. Well, no, we said from the beginning, from year one, we could either do a true crime story or a paranormal story. Okay. I just said true crime year one, and paranormal year two. And forgot to remind you about the paranormal for year two. Okay, well, let me ask you this, Mike. Yeah. Uh, without going into too much spoilers, this year, did you focus on paranormal or true crime? Oh, no, definitely definitely true crime. Okay. Did well, you do paranormal? I did true crime. Okay. I did very, very true crime. That's intriguing. You want to um, go first? I kind of do, just because, I mean, I don't know what your story is, but mine's sadder. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Well, the goal here is to scare us. It's not to depress us. So, okay. Here's the thing. Yeah. This this story that I found is the only one that I learned about in this past week that truly stuck with me after hearing it. It did have its moments where it legitimately did scare me, mm-hmm. but I was considering not doing it at first because... More than anything, it's just very tragic, and it happened pretty recently in history. Oh, great! So we're going, we're going for a fresh wound. Yeah. All right. Um, and uh, part of me still doesn't want to tell this story, but it did happen, and it is true crime, and it is a, uh, it is scary. I just want to um, point out that you have until you start telling the story to change your mind. I know. Yeah, okay, just just putting it out no, there. No, I, I I made up my mind okay. after I did all the research and worked super hard, and it was like, well, I'm not doing this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. All right, you want to turn off the light and, and, we, and let's do this? Yes, let me turn off the lights because there's an extension cord in the way for you, and I don't want you oh, to trip yeah. in the dark. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Go do that. Ah. Okie doke. Let's go. Okay, we're in the dark. We're, and in, we're now in the dark. Doesn't make any difference to you because sound doesn't care about if it can see us. Dude, it, it actually is legit creepy now. Yeah, <laughs> look at that. The lights from the pumpkins are the only yeah. things. We, in, we have our pumpkins. We have our candles. Um, I'm very lucky that uh, behind me is an automatic uh, motion sensor that will turn on the lights automatically. So I don't have to worry about anything sneaking up behind me. That's what you, that's what you think. Unless like... Someone's crawling on the ground very slowly. Or, you know, is just not... Uh, first of all, that's a really creepy thought. Uh, second of all, uh, or, you know, is just not something that can be picked up oh my by God. a sensor. Mike, shut up, yeah. or I will come over there and slap your face. Fucking fight me. I will, Let's and I'll win. <laughs> Let's go. 
Okay. Um, so I encourage you all to uh, maybe turn off the lights for you as well and just kind of get cozy with a nice drink and just Some get ready med- to be... Meditative music. Be uh, kind of uh, mortified. state of mind. Mortified is a good word. Okay. So my story has a few audio elements as well that I will get into. Oh, great. And it is a story that starts on Reddit. Everybody's favorite place on the internet. I would consider this to be one of Reddit's most famously disturbing stories. Oh, great. Okay. But uh, so I hope you haven't heard of it. I, I I really haven't. I don't um I don't really frequent Reddit that much. All right. All I know is that it's like it 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 has its very very dark place and very very bad memes. <laughs> and that's it. The memes are dope. That's it. This is a this is a so this is something that happened on October 28th, 2016, um, or something that was posted on that day. So okay. almost for us and for you listening, if you're listening on the day of release, uh, almost exactly four years ago. Oh, wow. Look the at day. that. Um, and it was posted uh, by a now deleted user who was originally named Jason in Hell. Oh, Okay. And this is a very long Reddit post. I hope you don't mind me reading the whole thing. Please do. It's very interesting, and it's very... Um, well, I'll just start reading it. So, again, this was on reddit.com, submitted into the... Where the fuck was this submitted? I'm pretty sure this was in, yes, Relationship Advice. Oh, that's a... I will say, before we dive in, that's straight up a toxic subreddit yeah. in and of itself. Don't go there. Yeah. Unless you really need help um, and can't afford therapy. In which case, please try and just go to therapy you, you anyway. Sh- you should it also... It is more than worth it. I would say that going on a subreddit for help is probably worse than getting no help. So, continue. Wow, Mike. Very, uh, I'm sorry, just like random people on the internet. You know, well, I don't really trust them. So, let me read this to you. I'm 30-year-old male having a hard time Coping with my wife, 29-year-old female, having cheated on me with our neighbor, 51-year-old male. Submitted by Jason in Hell. And this is thanks to the Wayback Machine that uh, this is able to still be viewed because the post has been long deleted. Right. Okay. I'm going to skip the TLDR and just get right into the actual post. It has been 476 days since I confronted her about it. How do I know? Because every time I catch myself thinking about it, I tell myself it's only been X days. Maybe you won't think about it tomorrow. So to go back to the beginning, I had just taken on a new project and new responsibilities at work. I was working a lot of hours, 60 plus per week, and was noticeably stressed. It was in May of 2015 that I noticed that she had added a password to her phone. When confronted about it, She told me it was because she was planning my Father's Day present and didn't want me to ruin the surprise. About a week later, she came up to me and told me that she felt guilty keeping a big secret from me and told me that she was having our neighbor, a contractor, build a home office for me as a present. It struck me as odd as in our six years together, she has never said she felt guilty about anything and always insists that she never regrets anything in her life. I will also add that... uh, um, no jokes will be made at the expense of Jason in hell because, um, this is already a really upsetting story. Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, this is downer to get us started. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, you can see where this is going, but let's yeah. keep going. <laughs> Time goes on. Her phone is still password protected and things didn't, don't feel right. 
I see her using her phone and smiling to herself more and more often. But when I ask her what she's doing, she says nothing about it and puts her phone away. So one morning, I wait for her to get in the shower, and I grab her phone before it requires the password. I go through her messages and find that she is texting the neighbor. I am all covered in frosting. You want to lick it off? That was a text. That wasn't him. Oh, okay. That, yeah. yeah, that was a quote. Yeah. Uh, I, I would hope he doesn't. I, I just clarifying yeah. because, like, that would be a very strange turn. Yeah, that would be. That would be. That would be a weird thing to start with. Yes. Yeah. There were no other messages to the neighbor, but I found out later that it was because she had set up her phone to delete messages after a certain amount of time. I felt uncomfortable with it, but I knew she had prevent a, a perverted sense of humor, and I thought she would never do anything to hurt me. I can't even see you react to this, which kind no, of you can't. bums yeah. me out. <laughs> Like, it is that dark. It is. Um, okay. More time goes by, and the neighbor is spending more and more time at our house, but the office is being completed slower and slower. I can't help but worry that something isn't right, so I start checking her location using Google Timeline. It was at this point that I realized that there are large gaps in her GPS history because she was turning off her phone's GPS. Fast forward to July... And at this point, the paranora is driving me so nuts, oh, nuts, so I tell her that I need to install a new antivirus on her phone, new antivirus software. Mm -hmm. While she has it unlocked for me to install anti-theft software, so I can, oh wait, while she has it unlocked for me, I install anti-theft software so I can remotely turn the GPS back on and set up AT&T message backup and restore so I can read all of her text messages from the from that point on, my computer. Ugh, butchered that sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I, got, I got it, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. The next day, my mother asks to spend time with my two kids, so my wife drops them off with her and has the day to herself. I watch my wife's activity from work as she spends the day trying to meet up with the neighbor, but is unsuccessful because he is busy with another job site. That night, we get the kids back from my mom's house, and we go out to dinner with the neighbor, his girlfriend, and his son. My wife and his girlfriend are having a good time drinking, laughing, and just joking around. His girlfriend mentions that she would like to see Magic Mike. I say it's a good idea. I'll watch the kids so my wife and her can go. So my wife and her go, and the neighbor and I go back to my house so the kids can play video games together. The kids are in the back in my son's room playing games, and the neighbor is sitting across from me on the other couch. It is at this point that my wife starts texting him. She describes sex acts she would like to perform with him, and he is reciprocating. She tells him to check his Snapchat, and at the same time, I get a Snapchat from her too, and it is her fingering herself in the, a bathroom stall. They keep talking, trying to figure out when they can meet up and have sex. I should have mentioned that you shouldn't listen to this unless you're like over the age of 18. Yeah, well, thank, thanks, Alex. It's, we'll, a, it's we'll, a little late for that. We'll put a, a little we'll, late con- we'll, for the content we'll, we'll warning. We'll put a content warning in the beginning. <laughs> at the After magic you of go editing. into the, the super explicit details. Good job. You saved them. I, you saved them. Oh, my them. God. My, I didn't, I forgot how like intense this got. NSFW warning from here on in. Let's no, keep, keep going. From the beginning. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sorry about that. They decide on Monday morning after I go to work. So in my head, I had already planned to pretend to leave and circle back to catch them. But then they tell each other that they love each other, and it is all I can do not to leap off the couch and knock him out. But I contain myself and continue reading the conversation unfolding in front of me. Then he tells her, you're my girl now, 
to which she responds, always have been, ending with him writing, and always will be. My wife and the neighbor's girlfriend return from the movie, and I ask them politely to sit down. I then ask the kids to stay in my son's room and shut the door. I return to the living room and confront my wife and the neighbor. I say, so you two love each other, huh? My wife goes into full-blown denial mode, and the neighbor's girlfriend starts smacking him. I ask my wife if she has been texting him. She says no. So I show her the text messages. She admits it, but says it was the first time it had gone that far. I ask my wife if she had sent him pictures. She says no. So I show her the picture. She admits it, but says it was the first time. I ask her if she is having sex with him, and she says no. But I didn't want to catch them having sex together. I didn't have evidence to prove her wrong, so that one stayed unresolved. I tell her that I am leaving her. She tells me that she will make sure I I never see my kids again if I do. She planned on using the fact that I had attempted suicide in high school to prove me unfit to have the children. She continues to say that it was my fault for being so busy with work and stressed out, that she just wanted someone she could talk to. Then she gives me an ultimatum to decide what I'm going to do or she will decide for me. The neighbor's girlfriend starts defending the two of them, saying it couldn't have been serious if they weren't having sex and that my wife and I are too perfect together to let this break us up. The neighbors go home, and my wife and I argue for the rest of the night about what we are going to do. We go to bed separately, having not resolved anything uh, about what we are going to do. Oh, wait, sorry. We keep going back and forth on the subject all weekend and finally settle on on we were going to separate temporarily while we figure out what we want. I was going to stay in the house, and she was going to take the kids and go to her mom's house. Almost done. Okay, yeah. I'm just going to say right now, I don't know where the where this is going, but don't get me wrong. This is horrible, and I feel for... You said his name is Jacob from hell? Jason in hell. Jason in hell. Um, I feel bad for him, but also this just seems like... Not to say cheating is typical by any sense, but this just seems like a like like a like a normal kind of cheating situation. And it's reasonable where, that yeah. Sorry. Where don't get me wrong, it's shitty, shitty as fuck. I don't mean to to, to downplay it at all, but it, I don't know. I, I I can I can tell there's a twist coming. <laughs> yeah, um, it, there, you have all the reason in the world to think that, but yeah. uh, why don't we just keep going? Okay, go and ahead. See where things end up. Go <laughs> that Monday. I go to work and I get a text from her in the middle of a meeting with my bosses stating that she had explained things to our kids, but they, that they were upset and I need to explain it to them also. I get home from work to find my kids crying. She had told them that mommy had to move out because our dad was mad at her. When my son wanted to stay with me because when my mom wanted to stay with me, she told him that he can't. My son put it together that if mommy has to move out because I'm mad at her and he must move out then I must have been mad at him too. My daughter was crying because my son was. I don't think she was old enough to understand what was happening. It was at that moment I realized she was going to drag the kids through hell if I left her, so I swallowed my feelings and begged her to stay. She agreed and insisted that I apologize to our neighbor, since we are still going to need to hang out with them because our sons are good friends. I hate it, but I do it anyway. We still hang out with them from time to time, and they come to our various birthdays and holiday parties. But I do anything for my kids, and I behave civil every time. Things die down for a while. I still think about it constantly. I worry how I can keep from making her so unhappy that she cheats on me again. 
Then almost a year from the original incident, around Father's Day again, she sends him pictures again. She claims it was an accident that she meant to send them to me instead. I don't fully believe her, but I move on anyway. Things have been quiet on that front for about four months now, but I still think about it constantly. This is going to sound stupid, but I feel like I have a part in my of my brain that I can't shut off that is always thinking. I used to use that to solve programming problems, and it made me very good at my job. But ever since this incident, the only thing it thinks about is her and him, and if I did the right thing. My job performance had suffered, and I feel like I haven't gotten sleep in months. I'm afraid that after this much time, and the fact that I begged her back, that to say I want a divorce now would only make her more vindictive towards the, my children and I. I just feel like I have to put myself so deep in a hole that I can never get myself back out. I haven't really talked to anyone about this. I didn't want to talk to my mom about it because I feel she would treat my wife differently, and I didn't need the two fighting any more than I already did. I tried talking to one friend about it, but his advice was to put my trust in God, but that was not much solace for me as I'm an atheist, so I have no clue what to do with my feelings or how to move on from this. And that is the whole post. Okay. That's a lot. It is. I'm going to take the TLDR as... He, Want me to read you the TLDR? Is it just his wife, he caught his wife cheating and he's worried that his wife is going to... Or was it wife? It is his wife, right? Not yeah. girlfriend? I caught my wife cheating on me over a year ago. I stayed with her for the sake of our children, but I haven't been able to get it out of my mind since. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I said, horrible, but not entirely unusual for someone who has been cheated on that's fine yeah so let's continue the story a little bit okay sadly i could not find the next reddit post that he posts because like I know, an update yeah i know he posts one update he posts a few i found the other big update he posted but that comes later um the biggest update well i'll read you some of the comments first um mm -hmm. to kind of see what people are, are saying here's the here was the top comment at the time you're trying to navigate this alone, and you should seek counsel ASAP. You should have done this months ago. Your wife's threat should hold no weight until you can get a professional legal opinion on your exposure in a divorce. You won't be doing your children any favors by remaining in a marriage that is founded on lies, infidelity, and outright bullying. She made you apologize to your neighbor, and you did it? Come on, man. You cannot honestly say that you see any sort of future here that isn't a hell on earth for you. So for your sake and the sake of your children, get a lawyer ASAP and follow his directions to the letter. I don't think that's terrible advice. No, actually, legitimately, I am pleasantly surprised. That's mm -hmm. that's really good advice. Yes. The, like, the, the other comments are in the similar vein, less specific about advice, more just like, I can't believe you stayed with her. I can't mm -hmm. believe you begged her to stay. And well, that, that's kind of what I expected, like, kind of like victim blaming. I don't know if that's the right word, but like blaming him for the situation, which I think is improper. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's another comment that goes to the twist of this story, but I'm not going to get there yet because mm -hmm. I want to summarize the first update that he posts, which I can't find. But the gist of it is that he basically says after seeing all of the responses and advice, he's decided to go through with the divorce and he's talking to a lawyer and talking to his wife soon. Okay. And Sounds that good. was that update. Simple, good. clean. So hang on. Let me... Uh, do you so, think? okay. So about 26 days after uh, Jason in hell posted his original um, Reddit post, mm -hmm. someone 
posted a link as a comment. Okay. And when you click on the link, I'm not going to... It's an article, so I won't read it to you. I found a video that explains uh, something that... uh, Listen to this. Okay. Two Montgomery County children killed over a pending divorce. Today, their mother, Brandi Worley, sentenced for a chilling crime that horrified central Indiana. Rafael Sanchez reported from Darlington on the day of the murders. And today brings us the outcome of this case. Rafael. Erica, good evening. Brandi Worley shocked her family and her neighbors by stabbing to death her two young kids. Today was another tough day for the people of Darlington. Brandy Warley oh, was sentenced shit. to 120 years. Let's pause it right there. So, we got this video. It was in the same area from where Jason Hill was. And Did he in, give his location? Um, I believe so. It, I, it was, I believe it was somewhere in Indiana, which Warlington was. And the husband's name in this story was Jason. Mm-hmm. So, some people thought this could be the same guy. And he could have just uh, had the worst day of his life. Yeah. Um, but there was no, there was no assurance right away. Later, um, Jason did say, yep, that's me. And that's what happened. Holy fuck. Yes. So I have, uh, let's read a, uh, an article about, uh, kind of what transpired after the post. Some okay. news stories covering what some moms do to their children are so completely shocking. It's hard to believe that they are real. As a mom, you want to do anything in your power to make sure nothing bad happens to your children on your watch. With stories like the one you are about to read, there are some distur- they are so disturbing and tragic, it leaves you struggling to comprehend how a mom could begin to do such heinous things to her own children. This is also from uh, chipchick.com. Uh, links Chip in the- Chick? Yeah, I don't know. All right. It's, it's, in, it's a short article about kind of the gist of the whole thing. And I thought it'd be a good transitional piece. Okay. Uh, Jason and Brandy Worley had been engaged for two years before they decided to get married. The couple lived in Darlington, Indiana. Their son, Tyler, was born 10 weeks premature, and it was that then that they had made a serious promise to one another. We always said the children would come first, before each other uh, or our marriage. Jason remembered on their promise to one another. My children were my life, Jason Worley told... Uh, journaling courier they were my everything the couple welcomed a girl into the world after having their son tyler their daughter was named charlie jason said that she was developing into her own person she loved getting dressed up and wearing her hair in braids or bows tyler loves tyler loved sports he was very loving and excellent at making friends he one day wanted to grow up to be just like jason and working on computers both of jason's children's had their lives whole lives ahead of them and it looked very bright for them both then their mom cut it short for them. On her Facebook profile, Brandy says, In the end, I am the only one that can give my children a happy mother that loves life. Ironically, in the end, she did everything but that. She killed her own precious children, and you won't believe why. And on... The, sorry? The You won't believe why? That's, you know, the allusion to the next paragraph. Oh, okay. On November 16th, 2016, so again a few weeks after the original post, Mm -hmm. Jason filed for divorce from Brandy. They had been married for seven years at this point. In the divorce filing, Jason says he wanted to end the marriage due to an irrevitable breakdown in the marriage. She understood why we were getting a divorce, Jason told Journal and Courier. The next day after Jason filed for divorce, she killed the two children in cold blood. 
So that's one of the articles. Um, and then wow. I also have a description of uh, the events of the murder. So at this point, people were nearly 100% sure this was him based on the amount of time they were married, uh, the name Jason, also two the, kids. The dates. The dates. Yeah. Two young kids. It all just seemed too perfect. So perfect that it it was the truth. Mm-hmm. After coming home from the dance performance for their daughter, Brandy Worley went to Walmart in Crawford's da- Crawfordsville, Indiana, under the pretense of needing to buy pipe cleaners for a school project for their son, Tyler. According to Joseph Boozer, a prosecutor in the Montgomery County government, Brandy Worley bought the murder weapon, a caber combat knife, at a Walmart on November 16th. Coming home, she initially placed the knife in Tyler's bedroom. She told Jason that he could sleep on the couch, but he declined, preferring the basement to their bed or couch. As Jason slept in the basement of their residence, Brandy lured Tyler into Charlie's bedroom, stating that they would be asleep over there, fatally stabbed the children in their necks, and then stabbed herself in her own neck. Brandy murdered her son before murdering her daughter. The daughter woke to hear the repeating stabbings to her brother and asked, what are you doing? In which Brandy told her to go back to sleep. She then repeatedly stabbed her daughter. Finally, Brandy called 911 to report the murders. She stated that she took a lot of Benadryl. She was calm and emotionless during the 911 call. And um, if uh, you'll humor me for a moment. Montgomery County 911, where's your emergency? We're 233 South Madison Street. In what town? Darlington. Hey, what's going on there? I just stabbed myself and I killed my two children. You stabbed yourself and killed your two children? Mm-hmm. Okay, and what's your name? Brandy Worley. Brandy what? Worley. Okay. How do you spell your last name? W-O-R-L-E-Y. And where are, they, where are the children at? In my daughter's room, on the in, floor. In your daughter's room on the floor? Okay. What's, uh, what's your phone number, Brandy? And we'll stop there. Did she hang up? Is that what that beep was? No. The call goes on for five minutes. Holy crap. But uh, you got the actual it's on 911 call. Well, still, that's that's intense as hell. Yeah. Um, So aftermath. Yeah. Brandy Worley initially was admitted to Indiana University Health uh, Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis to treat her self-inflicted injuries. That 911 call was made after she stabbed herself in the neck as well oh after so she was speaking even while she was bleeding out yeah uh, oh my god apparently she took a lot took a lot of benadryl and she survived she survived that the funeral of the victims was held at yes at darlington community center on november 22nd 2016 and they were buried at green law cemetery in darlington a vigil was held at the congressional christian church also in darlington on november 18th 2016 (sighs) <sighs> okay, uh, YouTuber Philip DeFranco assisted Jason Worley after the father of the victims contacted him on Reddit. DeFranco asked his viewers to contribute to a GoFundMe account 
to pay for Jason Worley's immediate cost of living and the funeral for his children. In March of 2017, the divorce initiated by Jason Worley became final. So... God bless. Honestly, I mean, I mean, Phil DeFranco. I, I I like him as a YouTuber. I didn't know he did this. Um, he seems to be a he seems to be a good guy, Phil DeFranco. But yeah. man, that's that's fucking horrible. Holy it shit! Is. So, in January of 2018, Brandy Worley pleaded guilty to murder. On March 29 March 19th, 2018, Judge Harry Simus of the Montgomery Circuit Court sentenced Brandy Worley to 65 years for murdering Charlie and 55 years for murdering Tyler, giving her a consecutive total of 120 years in prison. Jason Worley stated, All I care is to never see Brandy Worley again, out of sight and out of mind. Mm. So, that's the whole story, except for one more little post. (sighs) Sorry, this got... Really yeah, downer, heavy. dude. <laughs> I know. Uh, but but what's the last? What is? Damn. All right. What is what is the last little update? So, this was on Reddit again, and this was about two years ago. Um, I don't see an, a specific date for this one, but this is a while after the whole incident. So the post is titled "An Update from Jason in Hell." Um, I don't remember the name of this new. Uh, Reddit account because this one was the lead and I don't have the name Mm -hmm. but uh, this was a Jason in something else I don't remember Gotcha. but it was the same guy and it was was confirmed. The first thing you may notice is this is being posted from a different account. I deleted the user slash Jason in hell account in a knee jerk reaction to seeing my Reddit posts in the news I guess the first question to answer is how I'm doing and to that I would like to say I'm doing well I have bad days, but I would think that it is to be expected. It is just important that I or anyone going through something continue to use support of friends and family as well as good coping skills to not let myself be completely defeated on those bad days. I won't lie. I've struggled to get back to where I am. For some time, I refused to sleep because of combination of fear of what I would wake up to and nightmares about that night. For a time, I used alcohol to sleep, but my family loved me enough to take it from me before it became a damaging and permanent habit. I was hospitalized because I did have thoughts of ending my life because I missed my children so much. From that, I learned that you should never be ashamed of your mental health and not seeking treatment will only make it worse, not better. We all have heard, we have all heard it, but if you or a loved one is struggling, seek immediate assistance. Your life is too important to throw away in a moment of weakness. By putting off treatment, I only caused everyone else in my life to suffer. I lost my job and became reclusive to the house. But don't worry, I have been back to work since December, and I have nearly regained my former position and salary, so I am good and require no assistance. The second question would be, how do I feel about the sentencing? That is something that is harder to answer, because no matter what the sentence, nothing would bring back my beloved children. Do I think she should have gotten the death penalty, which Indiana has? Mm -hmm. No, I do not. She wanted to die, and after nine years of giving her what she wanted, when she wanted it, I was not going to give her another thing. Do I think the life sentencing will have any appreciable effect on her? I don't know. One thing she always stressed for the entire time I knew her was that she lived her life without any regrets. 
Even after I caught her cheating on me, she continued to say she had no regrets. As for the ex-in-laws, they continue to be a problem to this day. Shortly after everything happened, they changed the locks of on the home. Yes, uh, I was renting from them with my property still inside. After trying to civ- civilly negotiate the return of the property, it was required that I involve involve the law enforcement. This is an ongoing legal battle. A member of the family accused me of stealing property I had purchased from them prior to the death of the children and threatened to take action against me unless I paid double what I had already paid them. I alerted the authorities, and as far as I know, that is resolved. They continue to make visiting my children's grave difficult. During the one-year anniversary, they sat in their truck and just watched me the whole time while I was visiting the grave. Because of that, I don't visit the grave as often as I would like to. And the last paragraph. If I can impart on you something I have learned through all of this is that you should always take the time to be with the ones you love. It doesn't matter if they are asking you to read The Pokey Little Puppy for the millionth time or asking you to play Smash Bros. even though you both know that they'll wipe the floor with you every time. Just do it because you never know what time will be the last time. Always make sure they know how much you love them. I had the fortune that the last thing my children ever heard me say was, I love you. Good night. I will see you in the morning. And Aww. that is the tragic story of Jason in hell. Yeah. Uh, dude. I know. Dude. I know. It's a lot. Ah, oh, damn, dude. Uh, I mean, look, it's it's always interesting when posts like that, when internet happenstances like that uh, happen, because, you know, so many people post on the internet constantly, and, like, mm-hmm. even the very few people go viral, but so many people go viral every day that it almost becomes white noise, and it's so interesting, I mean... Interesting is the wrong word, but I, I can't think of another one to watch those things happen in real time because you remember, like, I don't know, for some reason this feels much more real than, like, a random true crime story that I hear, like, on the news or it, in a podcast or something like that. Exactly, because you, like, this story, you're able to hear the before and after of a person who was more directly involved than anyone else in yeah. this tragic incident. Yeah. You're able to see the thought process of the person before, his reason for concern, which was justified in the end, and his uh, how he's been doing since. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that... Uh, I think it's fair to say that he was justified. Um, but yeah, no, it's... Uh, yeah, you're, you're entirely right. I think that, like... I don't know, um... The internet is weird because it simultaneously makes us forget that there are people behind on the other side, but it's also like, maybe that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why this hits home, because you kind of forget that there's a real person on the other side of it, and now we actually see that person suffering. Yeah, it's seeing a post on Reddit, and Mm -hmm. maybe you'll throw a little bit of advice at them, and then hope it goes well, and maybe you'll get an update, also in text. But this, no. Um, It became a news story yeah and not for a good reason no not at all well damn yeah uh, apparently this is this is a sad halloween yeah uh, uh i feel weird about going into mine now i don't know uh, i feel like I, we need a buffer and i don't know what that buffer is well, well, let's let's buffer 
Sorry, uh, our actually this is good timing because our our listener just asked me if I did it yet in uh. reference to me <laughs> calling you a bitch. Ah, uh, okay. So yes, I did do it. Yeah. <sighs> I know. Okay. So moving right along, I are, guess. Are you sure? <laughs> Damn, no, I mean, what else am I going to say, Alex? I don't know. You you just made, like you said, this is Sadoween. Is there, is there a holiday <laughs> for sorry. being sad? Because I don't know. I'm not like, like, don't get me wrong. The initial, the, the, the phone call, the, the 911 call, that was scary. That was creepy as hell. But everything surrounding that just is so upsetting. <laughs> I thought it would be worth it for those few little scares oh, in there. Oh, man. I mean, it was cool. I mean, cool is the wrong word, but like, it was. It it, it got me in a. It it it, it gave me the shock yeah, for it, a hot second. It hurts. It's like shock, and then like only clarification that your shock was justified. Yeah, yeah. Like those those video clips were were like you said. Those those did round it out, but it's just like holy shit, dude. Yeah. Um. Sorry, if, uh, this I'm also glad we're releasing this a little earlier than Halloween. Happy so. fucking Halloween, I, I everybody! Don't, I don't trick or treats uh, to all you little kids out there. Uh, Damn it, the world is pain. Sorry, everyone. I love you all. Uh huh. Mike, I love you, buddy. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, let's get into yours. Uh, okay. Hopefully. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Mine's a true crime story too. There are also people suffering in this story. Don't make it. Don't. I, I don't want to say this is a lighter story, but on the other hand, we have a little bit more time to in between it because this incident happened in 1933. Okay. So, so, so this is a long time ago. A little less intimate. Yeah. A little less modern. But I will say one thing: it still deals with the family. Okay. So this is the story of the Johnson family murders. Uh, oh, this sounds familiar. Yeah, this is a this is a very famous case. Well, um, tell me about it. All right. <sighs> Away from Reddit. Reddit ruins everything. Damn it. Um, <laughs> let's set the scene. Okay. Let's uh, let's go back. Uh, like I said, over a hundred years ago. Uh, to this is this is before nine. This story kind of starts before nineteen twenty. Cool. Uh, so we're going back over a hundred years ago. Um, to, uh, uh, to, uh, Minnesota, to Minnesota, about 50 miles north of the twin cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul in a, uh, rural county called Chisago County, uh, Minnesota. Chisago? Chisago. Chisago. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but yeah, Chisago County, Minnesota. Um, back in this time, this, we're, we're flashing all the way back to 1882 here for first. Like I said, the... Incident in question happens later, but we're flashing all the way back to 1882. Okay. Um, this uh, at this time uh, we had a 20-year-old named Emil Johnson, who uh, no Amil Johnson. I'm sorry. I think <laughs> I forget how it was pronounced. I listened to a podcast on this, but I I think I think it's it's pronounced Am- Amil. Let's uh, Amil Johnson moved from Sweden in 1882. Back in this area, like I said, it's a very rural area mm-hmm. of uh, uh, of Minnesota. It was a really really popular area for for Swedish immigrants. Minnesota as a whole was, but this county in particular, because back in 1882, fun fact, uh, the population of Sweden exploded. It doubled in, really? in uh, the course of a couple years. Yeah, I don't know enough about Swedish history to tell you why. Well, good for all those lucky Swedes getting laid. Yeah, well, except here's the problem: the product of those Swedes getting laid. Uh, had no jobs because there was an oversaturation of the market. Well, 
Still good for those Swedes. Yeah, so they moved to America. A lot of them moved to America and found a place in Minnesota. Okay. Like, yeah, like um, we're, we're from New York. Uh, Irish Irish immigrants and Italian immigrants famously found uh, homes here. That was New York is Irish and Italian in the way that apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently Minnesota is to Swedish immigrants. Like they, that, they have history there. That is interesting. Yeah, who, who knew, right? Who knew indeed? All right, so Amal Johnson. Uh, this story starts with Amal Johnson, who uh, bought a bought a plot of farmland uh, and just started started working, started working the the farm, working as a farmer, and soon met Cecilia Blonberry, who uh, whose parents owned a plot of land next door, oh. and uh, he very very quickly and very uh, as as the story goes, fell in love with the girl next door, oh. and by the age of twenty six, he married her. Oh wow, that. Makes me depressed. Yeah, I know. I know. Oh, right? that age. Well, this was like I said. This was back in 1880. I think. Let's see. The, he was 20 in 1882, so he would have been 26 in what's two plus six, Alex? 88. He would have been married in 88. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you know what? People died a lot earlier back then. No, I don't know if that's statistically as true as we think it is. Well, it makes me feel better. Yeah, so. sure. Shut uh, up. But, but they did get married earlier back then, that is for sure. Um, but they, they went and they had seven children, four boys and three girls. Damn. Yeah. I guess you need hands to work the fields. Well, also, I mean, it tells, tells you about the why they might have had an explosion in population in Sweden all the way back in those eight in those 1880s. Yeah, maybe not as many contraceptives. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, that's possible, but also, you know, big families are just a thing back then. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you need, you need those farmhands. You sure do. Um, and those, uh, those, those farmhands were, were primarily in the boys. We, I didn't really learn too much about the three girls, but the four boys were very, were very well known in, uh, the city, this town, which was called Harris, which is in Chisago County. Um, okay. uh, Harris, yeah, Harris, Harris, Minnesota. Uh, they were very famous in Harris, Minnesota, because they were very well known for fighting and for drinking. <laughs> nice. Uh, the oldest, the oldest child was Albin Johnson. He was, uh, he he got in trouble for fighting, but he was uh, raised by a strong religious upbringing. The father, Amal Johnson, like I said, mm-hmm. uh, he uh, actually founded a Lutheran church in in Harris, uh, Indiana, or oh. Harris, Minnesota. So he was he was a very religious man and and brought those values onto his children. And uh, but Albin Albin eventually dropped out of school at sixth grade. He wasn't very good in school to begin with, but uh, he dropped out all also primarily to help his father with the fields. He started working in the fields. Understands. However, his young Younger brother named Big Hank Johnson. That's 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 just his name. That's his legal name. No, his, I mean his legal name is Hank, but his he just goes by Big Hank for his entire life. Like <laughs> just entire well, like, life. Like he's like in kindergarten. He's like, call me Big Hank. Yeah, but he was particularly violent. Oh, well. he's gotten a lot of fights. In one in one particular instance, he uh was he was with a friend that he fought and choked. Until the friend turned purple and he was ripped off of him. Oh. However, okay. Interestingly, in spite of this fighting, he was actually actually remembered for having a being very very friendly. And that friend that he actually choked out, a pallbearer at his funeral. So apparently they were they they uh, were uh, they they made they made it up. They they buried the hatchet. Wow. I, I kind of give him a lot of credit for that because that that indicates either a really good turnaround. Or they just like to roughhouse differently just, in Minnesota. Yeah, I guess. Missouri. Where is this? Cut, Minnesota. Yeah, you're right. Um, but like I said, this was uh, now we're talking about like 19 late 1910s, early 1920s. Okay. So the era of prohibition. Almost the roaring 20s. Almost the roaring 20s. We're going to get to the roaring 20s. Yay. But uh, yeah, uh, 
but also in this era was prohibition. Yeah, this is this is uh so like I said, the four brothers loved to drink. They were very famous for being very rowdy, very fighty, all that stuff. Very drinky. Very drinky. Um they would they would walk 5 miles to the nearest speakeasy and I don't know if you know how much you know about Minnesota, but it's damn well cold in Minnesota. My god. They would walk 5 miles to get there damn. and the bartenders knew they were coming when they walked in <laughs> when they walked in when they walked in the the bartenders were like oh shit because these four drunk brothers walked five miles to get to the bar and they were damn well gonna make it worth the trip yeah. every single time that's crazy it's yeah. like honestly like today like I, I I debate whether or not it's worth it to walk 10 minutes to a 7-eleven in yeah. like the moderate cold exactly I mean so they loved their they liked their uh they liked their drinks that's pretty cool um and they would do this all the time like they said they got a they got a reputation in the town well it's also Minnesota in the 1910s what else are you gonna do I mean farm I mean yes uh that's very true that's one I thought of yeah there farm. you go um but okay at this time uh at the at the at the speakeasies Albin the oldest son actually met a uh, a woman whose name was Alvira, and they met at one of these functions and at one of these speakeasies, mm-hmm. and they quickly grew very very close. That's cool. And they uh they started a romance. Um, Sorry, just the way you phrased that. They started that was like... a romance. It's very very academic. <laughs> I realize they that they started a romance they together. Started a romance. They were doing the kisses. Uh, they I will say uh, Albin was much much older than Alvira. How much? Fourteen years. Was Alvira of like. Legal age? Oh yeah, no, no. They they were like, like, Alvin was approaching his. He was he was starting his early thirties, and she was approaching her twenties. Okay, so it's legal, but there's a big age gap. Legal, there. but like with questions. Yeah, uh, but besides that, they actually did have a lot in common. Alvira was also a descendant of uh, a descendant of Swedish farmers. Cool, uh, and also a native to Harris. So they were both born in the town of Harris. They met and they fell in love. Um, Alvira loved Albin, but it's worth noting that the family hated his guts. So, uh, number one, the age difference. Number one, the age difference. Number Uh two, like I said, the habit of drinking and and kind of bringing shame to the family. It's not uh, not great in their mind. Uh, However, Alvira said, fuck you, mom. And she uh, she got married to Albin in 1922. Uh, Their first son, Howard, was born in 1923. Uh, and in, uh, in 1923, and eventually they would have seven children over the next 10 years. Damn. Uh, yeah. So they, uh, or six more children. So they would have a total of seven, Howard being the oldest, all the way up to, uh, up to, oh, I th- I'm blanking on the, on the last kid's name. I think the last kid's name was Lester. Uh, and that but, was over the course of 10 years? Yes. That's Howard like... was born in 1923, and the last child was born in 1933. God, that's like a kid a year almost. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Pretty that's... much. Wow, that woman is like pregnant almost nonstop for ten years. Yes, yeah, really. Honestly, you're not wrong. That's I'm, insane. I know. It's 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 really hard to wrap our hands around because I mean, most people in our generation, like we get married older. Number one, but number two, we have fewer children. One or two. Yeah, usually. Uh, that's not really the case back here. Not I really at not. all. Um, so Albin worked as a farmer and laborer. Like I said, he had a sixth grade education. So he really uh. He was just he just worked as a farmer on his dad's farm and then eventually he got his own farm. Farmer and a laborer. Uh, but he, he struggled. He struggled quite a bit. Uh, he regularly or not regularly, but he was not it was not uncommon for him to take money from the Red Cross when he needed it. Um, when they got a farmhouse and started working on a farm, mm-hmm. uh, that they uh, there was no indoor plumbing. 
Um, there, there was no heating. Um, so they were very, very poor, but the, the children were able to go to school and then work the farm after they got home. Um, it's kind of the American dream, uh, kind of like, like working really, really hard to give your children an, an, uh, a life. However, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, it is incredibly hard on, on the individuals working here. Yeah. Um, Albin working his working himself to the bone but just not really able to turn a profit and then you had Alvira who's working in a house who's working in raising seven children like you said mm-hmm. almost always having a newborn around yeah oy. um just constantly working constantly trying to make things make things come together uh and I will say that Albin um was not the most loving father like he was trying but he really was not exactly loving and emotional and stuff like that was he like the stern like spanky type father yeah a little bit more you know i don't want to say that he was the kind of guy to like take candy from a baby except he literally took candy from a baby uh (laughs) would the belt come off no i mean no by by that i mean like as in he got some extra money he stopped by a store bought some candy for his children the uh Apparently, the store owner was friends with Alvira. Mm-hmm. They were talking on the phone because there were a couple phones around them, believe it or not. Mm. Not common, but there were a couple. Um, she she found out that the that the candy was coming. Uh, Albin got home. Alvira said, hey, isn't it great? You got candy for the kids. And Albin said, I ate the candy on the way home. <laughs> so, well, okay. I guess he didn't. He didn't technically. They got you. Got him on a technicality. There. I mean, but yeah, but come on. He didn't take candy from the kids. Yeah, but he bought his kids something, and then was like, "I've had a hard day. Probably, I want to eat it." He probably bought it for himself initially, and just said he was getting the kid to the kids so that the, sh- the shopkeep wouldn't judge him. I think you're giving Albin way too much credit here. I really do. That seems like a more diabolical plan and he has a way to cover it up so like someone doesn't judge him. Maybe. Because he has seven kids. And then he was like, as soon as, then you think as soon as he walked in it was just the conversation of like his wife turning to him and being like, hey, you got candy for your kids. Yeah. My money was... For the kids. My money would be like he... He never intended to tell anyone that he got <laughs> yeah, candy. That just, yeah, but just so happened that the like the wife talked to mm-hmm. uh, the shopkeep on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I will. I will say that I think you're giving him too much credit because um, Amir, Amil, Amil, the the father, uh, also was not exactly the most lovey-dovey kind of father in the world. You he changed was, his name like six times. What is it? It's A M I L. That's how you spell his name. Amil, maybe? No, it's not Amil. It's, Amil? it's a soft Amil. Uh, let's Amil? go, Amil. Let's go with that. Um, Amil, uh, Swedish. I don't know how to pronounce Swedish words. Um, but Amil um, was not lovey-dovey either. He was he was a pastor. No one doubt that he was a loving, a lovely guy. Uh, he 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 uh, he had a good reputation as a good man, but he just was not good at showing affection, and I'm sure, and that kind of carried over to Albin. Mm-hmm. And during this time, like I said, Albin had the uh, he had the, the his habit of drinking alcohol, which Elvira thought was going to go away when they got married, but that that did not happen, especially because now he has kids to feed and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to emphasize that at this point we're entering into the 1930s, uh, which is the start of the Great Depression. Which is not a fun time for anybody, especially if you're struggling financially. Yeah, that is the 30s. Uh, that is a depressing time. Yeah. So Albin was struggling to find uh, consistent work 
But his father, Amel, had pity on him. Like I said, he was not exactly known as an affectionate father, but he saw his son was struggling and decided to help him out. Um, Amel was old, and he uh, he decided that it was time for him to retire. He wouldn't really be able. He wasn't really able to uh, work the farm anymore. Mm-hmm. So he said. So he went to Albin, and he said, Albin, you uh, you can take over the farm. I'm going to move to the to closer to the township of Harris. Um, and you can take over the farm. You can work the farm, but on one condition, and that one condition is that Amel has to pay rent to the to the, to the father, which is very fair. He's given him a job. He's given him given him rent. I would say that's fair. Albin was very happy to take it, and everything works for a little while, for a couple years, but then the depression ramped up, um, and Albin began to struggle again. He just began to struggle to turn a profit. In fact, he was just not able to turn a profit at all, and he was not able to consistently meet his rent. So, Amel gave his son an eviction notice. He told his son, either pay the rent or get off the property. Oof. And Amel already stressed the hell out because he, he, uh, he was already struggling to, to do everything. He felt really betrayed. He saw this as a betrayal because he, was trying, he saw that he was trying to feed his wife and seven children in the middle of the Great Depression. And now his father is going out of his way to evict him. Was it called the Great Depression back then, or was it just like a depression? You know, that's a good question. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, however, like I said, uh, he evict- he uh, Albin thought this was a betrayal, and uh, this was kind of the last straw for Albin. I I can understand, sort of. So he uh, he was going to move to a. He set he set up. He found he found a, a place in. Uh, Rush City, in a Rush City, which is a town nearby, but he was entirely out of money. So he borrowed $20, so he went over to his brother, uh, Big Hank, and explained to the situation. Big Hank. Big Hank. And he borrowed $20 from him. His brother, He went up to his brother and said, I need I need $20 for a down payment of, for, of, to rent this place. That is a lot of money in the 30s. It, it comes out to about $400 today. My God. And so Inflation's would, weird. I know. Um, however, it's... Important to note that Albin got this money from his big brother, but there's no evidence that he used this money to pay rent as he claimed he would. So I guess this is where I imagine things start to become a little uh, less uh, just a history talk. Right. So the question is. So this is, is, we're now in, we're now, now we're in uh, the night of April 10th, uh, 1933. Um, We, uh. He borrowed the twenty dollars, like I said. Mm-hmm. He he loaded up. They loaded up some of the furniture and moved out. But they uh, and packed everything up. And this was, like I said, the night of April tenth, nineteen thirty-three. Uh, it's the night before the move, and there was a very weird sleeping arrangement because they had mo- packed up all their furniture and taken it out of the house. Reasonable. Um, so we had the mother. Um, I also should note that at this point there is rumors. It's not confirmed, but there was rumors that Elvira was pregnant again with their eight child at this time. Okay. Um, but what was for sure was because of the weird sleeping arrangement, um, Elvira was uh, sleeping with her with their four month old, month old child in the kitchen. Um, the the other the other five children were uh, a little bit, were at another room in the house also sleeping, and presumably Alvin was somewhere. I don't like how specific this is getting. So. 2.30 a.m., Tuesday, April 11th, 1933. Okay, so this is the same night. A uh, nearby farm owner, Regnar Krantz, was his name, fun name, 
uh, yeah. was woken up to flashing lights. He initially thought it was uh, it was a passing car or, or or fireworks, but as he looked out his window, he realized that he saw that he saw the Johnson farm was just engulfed in flames. Oh, fire! Yeah, a fire. A fire had taken over had taken over the farmhouse and had burned almost all of their crops and everything. It was just covered in fire. That sucks. So he alerted another fire, uh, another farmer nearby. And they contacted the fire authorities. However, the flames were so intense. Like I said, this was discovered at 2.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. The flames were so intense. The fire crew was working so hard that uh, the fire crew were not able to enter the residence until after dawn. Wow. For, so like for hours. Hours. That it was burning. Once they entered the, entered the residence, they found several bodies. Uh. Uh, all of these bodies were charred to a crisp beyond re- recognition. Mm-hmm. Um. They found the bodies of Elvira and her youngest son, just four months old, uh, together. They found the bodies of five of the child of the other children, all huddled together, and they found one final body in the basement. So that's almost all the kids. That's all the kids. Oh, that's that's all that's all seven of them. Um, and the uh, the body in the basement, the ch- the authorities suspect that the child fell through the kitchen floor while burning up because the kitchen oh. floor had caved in. Uh. Um, all of the bodies were charred beyond recognition. Now, notably, there were nine people in the Johnson family, and there were eight bodies found. So, Albin Johnson, Daddy was missing. Albin Johnson was nowhere to be found, dead or alive. That's suspicious. So, initially, initially, the the thought was that, um, initially, the thought was very simply that. He was injured, or he was missing, or something like that. They started a man uh, a rescue a search mission for him immediately, but initially the thought was rescue mission. Mm-hmm. But as they searched and as they searched, they found no evidence of him, no tracks in the snow, no um, no uh, no, nothing that would indicate that he was anywhere around there. So, uh, we uh, power play was not initially suspected, but that changed when detectives S. B. Winneberg. And A.O. Stark. Wow, people had really cool names back in the day. Yeah. Those detectives started spear- spearheading the campaign. They uh, they searched everywhere, but they found no trace of him. They uh, The suspicion began that he ran off after starting the fire. Which would make sense considering this story is called the Johnson family murders. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, so... It was uh, so. They announced. They announced this. They announced that when they didn't find anything, they didn't find his remains. They didn't find any blood. They didn't find anything like that. Um, the suspicion began. They they went public with this. They said, "We are we are looking for Albin Albin Johnson mm-hmm. on suspicion that he has murdered his family." Um, so they began looking and they began interviewing people. They began interviewing Big Hank, and Big Hank revealed that when discussing the twenty dollars, the twenty dollar donation and or the twenty dollar, uh, lending him the twenty dollars, which he claimed he was going to bring to Rush City to uh, to buy rent, mm-hmm. he, he didn't know for sure because how would you? But he um he mentioned that uh, Albin had mentioned Canada a fucking lot because back when they were that back when they were kids, the the four brothers uh. Would drink in Minnesota. They would love that. Yeah, but Canada's Minnesota, not far. It's not far, and in Canada, prohibition was not a thing. So they would very regularly go up to Canada and 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 have their have their parties, have their uh, have their drink without worrying about mm-hmm. anything. Um, so, but Big Hank was loyal to Albin. He believed that Albin was incinerated in the fire, 
He, he said that the, ma- the house was made of white oak and that it isn't unreasonable that it would that, to believe that it would have gone up in an instant. And Mr. Krantz, the farmer that reported the fire, uh, was also interviewed, and he said that claimed that he saw some tracks in the snow earlier that night that looked like uh, like a like a car uh, uh, like tracks from a car mm-hmm. um, earlier that night. But he knew that Albin didn't own a car, and the tracks were all destroyed by all the fire trucks and the foot traffic of uh, of the night, and so it was it's impossible to confirm or deny yeah. that. Um, however, it was also revealed. That uh, two pieces of information came back. That uh, Albin did go to Rush City shortly after talking with his brother after borrowing the $20. Okay. And he also bought eight packs of tobacco prior to the fire. Kind of suspicious. And also apparently asked a Rush City citizen about a bus north. Which I don't know if you know what's north, but I think... Canada. Canada. So the detectives now were really, really suspicious of him. Um... Obviously, we don't even know if he smoked. I want to say that. It's very possible that he used that to start the fire, in, in theory, because um, mm-hmm. we don't know. Um, all, of the, all of the corpses were burned to a crisp. All the evidence was destroyed. It's really, really hard to tell. But they, they also interviewed a doctor, and they also noticed the doctor, the doctor shared, shared light that, um, like I said, the sleeping arrangements, the kids were, were, were asleep in the, li- in the living room. The, the mom and the, do- and, and the son were asleep in the kitchen. The kids were found, the, kids, the bodies of the kids were found in the living room, and the, and the mom was found in the kitchen. The doctor said, isn't it weird that they didn't, didn't like move? Run. That they didn't, not one of them sm- smelled the smoke and tried to get out and failed. So they were all found exactly where they were. The theory is that they were killed before the fire started. Exactly. They, I mean, and the the bodies were destroyed, so so it's impossible for us to know if there were any prior injuries before the fire began. But that's a good point that I didn't really consider. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Like that is in and of itself major evidence that they were dead before the fire began. That's eight people. Yeah, one of them would have woken up. Exactly. Um, so. So detectives were were uh, so like I said, this, that is unusual as hell. Unless they were all already dead, and the fire was set to cover up the murder. So after this opinions, the detectives went public, and publicly suspected Albin Johnson. They went to a grand jury, and the grand jury, I forget the technical legal term, but they reached a conclusion that the case was open, that they couldn't rule out foul play. Mm-hmm. Um, Harris. Uh, Harris police then went to the Canadian police, the mounted the mounted patrol, or the as Mounties. we know them down here, the Mounties. Yeah. And the Mounties got on it. And I will say the Mounties are badass. Like after here, uh, we'll talk about that in a se- in a second. But um, they put in their damn work. I will <laughs> say. Um, I also want to say that I think this is very interesting. Um, there were multiple. Like I said, the the Harris police were on the case. The uh. The Mounties were on the case, and not only that, Alvira's mother, who lost all, all eight of her grandchildren in this fire, was on the case. She hired the Pinkerton Detective Agency, the same agency that was used to track Jesse James, the main uh, the main agency that was used to track uh, Jesse James, and also actively stopped a presidential assassination. Which one? Um. I believe a assassination attempt. I believe it was in 1910s. I believe that was Woodrow Wilson. Oh wow! I believe he, they stopped the assassination attempt of Woodrow Wilson. I could be wrong about that. Check me on that one. Um, 
but they uh, the, this was this was a very famous detective agency. If you look back in American history, these guys had so many real cases, and they were on this case. Mm-hmm. Wow. They were on this case tracking tracking down Albin. Good for the Pinkerton. So, Manitoba, Canada. Manitoba, Canada, a few weeks later. And this is May now. So the fire happened a- April 11th. We're now talking May 5th, I think. So a few weeks later. A few weeks later. Albin was spotted in Manitoba. Witnesses called the Mounties, and uh, it, was, it was basically a waiter, a waitstaff, who was reading the description in the paper and realized, holy shit, I served this guy scrambled eggs just two days ago. Uh-huh. So we called up the Mounties, and the Mounties were on the case. And within a day, they tracked down exactly where... Albin would have crossed the border. They have they had down to the highway, the specific area. Damn. So at the very least, they knew that uh, someone matching Albin's description um, had crossed the border at the uh, uh, illegally. Um, so they they found out where they chased him, but they noticed that the trail eventually went cold. And there was another sighting of the man south uh, south of there in North Dakota, um, and they arrested him. And imme- they arrested him immediately. And I, like I said, I give, I give the Mounties and the North Dakota police a lot of credit for getting this guy. Wasn't Alvin Johnson. No, they were wrong. Was, it wasn't Alvin Johnson. <laughs> it was another guy named Mike who just happened to be wearing a gray coat and hat that fit the description. <laughs> and so this poor guy was like visiting, was on his way to visit uh, his relatives in California and then just caught up in a murder, got caught up in a murder wow. case. Wow. And he yeah. was in North Dakota? Yeah. I had a long way to go. Well, yeah. I mean, there weren't any planes back then. Um, yeah, I guess that's true. So the Mounties, after found, finding him, this is where I kind of, I kind of, it's kind of rough. But they, they, <laughs> fa- they found this guy Mike. They realized, oh, sorry, sorry about that. They put him away. And they were just like, well, I guess Alvin committed suicide, and they just stopped investigating. Wow, they just kind of like whatever. They just kind of, sh- I mean, they were looking for weeks. I give them credit, but at the same time, they just kind of shrugged their shoulders. Um, all right. So, also, at this point, despite, here's the, here's the thing. I am gonna. I was gonna save my opinion for the end, but I'll tell it here. I really think that Albin killed this family. Yeah, from what I've heard, I I tend to agree with you there. Yeah, except, but here's the thing. Here's all we really know. Here's all the evidence we actually have. That um, we know a house burned down, eight bodies were there, and they seem to have been murdered prior to the fire. But that's kind of it. There's really nothing that's actually conclusive tying Albin to this to to the murder definitively. Yeah, honestly, what could have happened is someone else killed the family, started the fire, and Albin got away and was what? scared he would be pinned for the murder and just didn't show himself. Right, like I said, he didn't have a car, but there were car tracks. I'm not saying that's what I think happened. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely that because of the debt and because of the stress, he decided to get a fresh start, mm-hmm. and he went around about doing that in a very terrible way. Yeah. But uh, despite the lack of conclusive evidence, the Harris police, for all the reasons that we mentioned, uh, still believed he committed the murder. That's the narrative, basically, that they had, that mm-hmm. he had a mental break, that he was stressed, he was trying to get a new job, he was betrayed by his family, so he went north to Canada, where he wanted to go, where he told his, his brother Big Hank where he was going. But... And so that's very believable. He was guilty in the court of public opinion. Yeah. But his trail was cold. Now, months later, they're still investigating oh, the there's rubble. More. There's months later. A rifle and two pistols were found in the rubble. Uh oh. So this is a huge breakthrough potentially. Uh the bodies were far too damaged to conclusively tell if they were if they were shot, but like if they were shot, 
Like, this could very easily be the evidence that the, the, the weapons that were used to kill them. And another man at this point, Henry Galpin, who was married to one of Albin's sisters, um, was looking through the rubble in his own thing, uh-huh. and he found additional bones in the rubble that were uh, rubble of fire. Additional bones that hadn't been found before. Uh, oh, like and a new person. Yeah, like more bones. Um, and there was melted glass next to the bones. To him, this proved that Albin was innocent because this was these are bones. It's probably him. And also, like, also let's think about this. The melting point of glass is, like, I forget the exact number off the top of my head, but it's like 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If, if I am holding... Uh, melting glass. That means that's hot enough to basically incinerate any person in an instant. So it's very possible that maybe the reason they didn't find this is Henry Galpin's argument that maybe it's very possible that the reason we didn't find uh, Albin's body is because he it was just freaking cremated. Went in like that. Yeah. Uh, so he took the, the 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 bones to the police. Uh, the police were like, "Thanks, Henry. We got it from here." Um, and, and basically didn't pay him any mind. Oh, wow. Um, the bones were then taken to the, uni- uh, University of Minnesota to, to, for inspection, but it's really unknown if they were actually his bones. It's, 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 I'm not gonna lie, I think this was a lead that they really should have followed through, but they yeah. did not. Um, that seems like a very important piece of information. It really does, doesn't it? To know whose bones those are. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, it, it really doesn't know. Uh, we really don't know, and- in this case, the second grand jury was brought forth because the first grand jury basically said, we can't conclude on this case. Second grand jury was brought forth to indict Albin for the murder. Um, there was not a kind of conclusive evidence, like I said. We we only have, sure, we have the rifles, but we don't know if they were used. You could It's America. We're allowed to have rifles if we want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but in spite of the lack of evidence, the grand jury still, con- still indicted him for the murder, which I'm not going to lie. Doesn't mean a lot. It just means that he's an official murder suspect for the murder. Um, yeah. And if they find him, you know, then he's got to be taken in and questioned and, you know, figure all that stuff out. Yes. And all of the people that I mentioned before were, were again, interviewed. Bake Hank, the doctor, uh, the guy that reported it, even his father, uh, Amil. Uh, I think that's how he decided his name was going to be pronounced. <laughs> uh, Amil uh, also also all testified to to uh, his son's their, their son's state of mind and, and, and things like that. Henry Galpin also testified. I will give him credit. Mm. They did listen to uh, Henry Galpin. However, after presenting his evidence, he kind of went off into conspiracy theories a lot. His uh. affidavit just was just plain old conspiracy theories. After talking about the bones, started talking about how the how the uh, the the detectives on the case started throwing the bones outside and like were actively sabotaging the crime scene. So it, it's really, really hard to take him seriously as a jury a- after all that. Uh-huh. Um, so this is important. Evidence doesn't matter as much as the person presenting it. So choose your lawyers wisely is my advice to all of our listeners. Uh-huh. Uh, because this is the case of just like the jury was like, yeah, he's probably still out there. And they, they just started the started investigating to this day. We still don't know what happened to Alvin, Alvin Johnson. Really? Nobody last, was ever found? The last time that we have ever found him, the last time anybody ever saw him, was coming back from Rush City that night and going, and going to bed with his family after packing everything up. So That's the last time he was ever seen. If he didn't die in that fire, he successfully disappeared. Right. If he didn't die in that fire, 
He, with his sixth grade education, was able to beat the Harris police, the Mounties, the Pinkerton Detective Agency, and get out of there. And with like a couple bucks left over from the tobacco. Right. Right. Exactly. It's possible he just used that money, to, the, the $400 or the $20, I'm sorry, that his brother gave him uh, to just survive as long as he could. Wow. Um, Maybe he kind of just like planted Canada in everyone's minds and then just like went back to Sweden. When, <laughs> went to Mexico. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Went the, the other, other way. way. Yeah. That's very possible. Um, I also will say that... Uh, the thought was floated that he killed his family and then committed suicide overcome with guilt. Like he drowned himself in a nearby river or something like that. However, I don't think that's likely because I do have actually faith in this police department because they were very thorough and interviewed all the right people. They would have found a body. They would have found the body. If he killed himself or died somewhere nearby. Exactly. Hmm. This case is still open. Uh, it's still unsolved. Um, wow. Officially, I, I think Alvin did it. I really do. I think he I think he beat yeah the world um which is not praising the man because he murdered his innocent wife and seven children and possibly unborn child too uh and uh but at the same time yeah it's just it's an american dream gone wrong it's an american dream gone wrong mike Um, i would say that would probably be one of the most terrifying endings if he would not at this day and age be well over the age of 100 yeah i know yeah if he was if you if there was even a remote possibility that he was just like still out there and in his prime yeah i definitely would not be able to sleep tonight yeah um going he could be he could i mean you don't know that don't we, say he could be behind me don't say that hey i mean that that old guy does look pretty creepy i'm fucking turning on the light. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh but yeah that was uh i i don't the, um i don't know the uh, the idea that there are so many unsolved murders alex turned on the lights and checked behind him three times already um uh the the idea that there are unsolved murders even in this day and age it's 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 freaky to think about and sure that was 1933 that that happened but like that was a really high profile case even back in 1933 yeah I would and imagine there are, there are amateur sleuths still looking at it today so there oh. are a lot of uh, there's a lot of possibility for that wow yeah. Mike that was fascinating yeah and I thank you for uh, that uh, that true crime tale you're welcome and uh, wow we really. Uh, Went on different ends of the spectrum as far as, like, dates uh, for for true crime. We sure fucking did, dude. Yeah. All right. So that could... But uh, now it's time for the picking bucket, yeah. right? Thanks I love for, Halloween. Thanks for joining us on our Halloween special. All right. Bucket. Bucket. We're back. Hello. What is the challenge this week? Allow me to, to figure it out. Yeah, you got the description. Why are you asking... Why are you asking know, such no, hypotheticals? I'm, I'm sorry. So, uh... Getting completely out of the Halloween spirit and into the autumnal spirit, even autumnal. though I guess this doesn't really have anything to do with autumn specifically. Not at all, actually. It feels like an autumn activity. I, uh, all right, I'll give that to you. The undertaking is called Riddle Me This. Uh, the challenge is to bring 10 riddles each for the other to solve on the show. Oh, wow. Seven of these riddles are to just be found on the internet, just fun riddles, mm-hmm. and three are to be made up by yourself. All right. And as a bonus challenge, at the end of the episode, we will try and guess which ones uh, we each wrote and which ones we brought on from sources online. That'll be fun. I think it will be fun. It'll be a fun little riddle game. All right. Sounds good. 
So All right, so that's our challenge next week. Yes. I love Halloween. Thank you, Alex, for bringing the depressing story of our lifetime. Thank you, Mike. But also still with a little bit of spook. And I want to I wanna quickly thank um, the YouTuber Nexpo for originally doing a story on this where I originally saw it. Um, very... And I want to I want to thank the podcast um, Unsolved Murders yeah. for uh, the research uh, that I did on the Johnson family murders. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, so yeah, go check out uh, those sources for better versions of these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, links in the description, as uh, as always. Yeah, as always. Yeah, and uh, that'll conclude our third Halloween special. Uh, three already. Three already. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, we This is the third Halloween special, which means we have two other Halloween specials. But that also means we have, uh, this is the 115th episode of the Weekly Undertaking. I don't know. Something like that. We have over 100 other episodes of the Weekly Undertaking. Go scroll back through our feed. You're on it right now. Why not go download more of this of this fun? If you, uh, we, we have done so many topics. I'm sure we've, find, we've done at least one that'll pique your interest. Just go scrolling and I'm sure you'll find something. Um, if you found us once, make sure you know where to find us again. Subscribe to us on whatever podcasting forum you're listening to us on right now. Uh, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, make sure you follow us there. We also have social medias, which are in the description, located well down below. Uh, we also have artists that help us out. We have Adam Rudy, who does the music, and Winston De Jesus, who does the podcast cover art. If you like what you see and what you hear, give them some love as well. Um, if you have a challenge for us, we have a form in the description where you can submit your own weekly undertaking challenges. Uh, go click that uh, go click that link and make us do stupid stuff. And uh, lastly, if you like this podcast, if you like this podcast, thank uh, please support us by supporting our sponsor audible.com. Use the promo code POSTFUN for a 30-day free trial and you can listen to uh, thousands of audio audio books, audio periodicals and Audible originals all for your listening pleasure for 30 days free of charge. And that's all I have for you this week. That is it. That is it. So thank you again for listening in. Join us next week. But until then, don't forget to challenge yourself. And try something new. You know what? (laughs) You know what? (laughs) What? It it was hard. (laughs) Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Get out of here. All right. Goodbye, everybody.